How are you? Yes, we talk here in this church. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. My name is G. I serve as executive pastor here at the City Lab Church. Welcome. Welcome to our Sunday service. For those of you here and those of you watching us online, great to have you this morning. Uh, the pates are out of town today, uh, so you get me. Um, yes, it's, um, yes, they're actually out in Abilene. Uh, they're actually visiting uh, uh, Evelyn Christian University. Any Evelyn Christian in the house? Yeah, there, there she is, at least one. Um, Addison, which is the firstborn of the Pates family, are actually going to university. He's already 18, so he's about to go to college, and so they're actually visiting Evelyn Christian as one of their school choices. So they're actually going to be there, so they're not here today. So uh, keep them in your prayer as they travel. Uh, did you guys enjoy Pastor Brian Taylor last week? Yes, if those of you, you're here. Yeah, it was such a great treat for us to have Pastor Brian with us, right? Um, if you don't know, we are part of a movement called Every Nation. Uh, we have churches over 80 countries around the world. And Pastor Brian is coming from Cincinnati, U.S., right? So uh, it's great to have him. And one thing that he actually told us was that he was really encouraged to see what God is doing here at the City Life. And uh, that's really credit to you, uh, Willie, for all those who, you, those who serve in this house, but also it's really the church is made up of people. Never forget that. So in a way, what, what we are doing, what we're able to do, what we do is because of you. Uh, so thank you so much for uh, being part of the church. If you are members, uh, you, you know who you are. Great to have you part of this journey of this city that God has called us at, Right? Uh, before I go on, though, I don't know if they're in here. I always like to give a shout-out. Where are the Campbells? Are they, are they all in the back? Campbells. Yeah, Stephen and his family, uh, they're just such a great, great uh, group of people. Their whole family, actually, you saw Stephen actually serving in the base. I actually love CM Jam. If you, haven't, if you haven't met him, definitely you have to meet him. Uh, but Stephen, and also you have uh, Sarah of one of the key today. So the whole family is actually serving in the worship team, right? So Sarah's actually intern with Every Nation. And so uh, the, the Earl actually has a pretty big task at his hand to make sure that if she is actually even capable, even called to be in the ministry, right? So, but anyway, we, we know she is. She, she has a calling on her life. Don't worry. It's just, I'm just giving Earl a hard time here, so... All throughout the sermon today, since Pace are not here, I get to give our hard time today. So that's why he's sitting in the front. He doesn't know it yet, but we're going to have a good time today, okay? Uh, on that note, uh, let's go right into the scripture today. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 13, and then we're going to jump to Mark chapter 10. So if you have actual paper, paper Bible, you can put your thumb at Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 10. We're going to read a two different story, but it has some great implication, uh, both stories. So we're going to read this portion of the scripture together, okay? If not, scripture is going to be behind me on the screen, so you can just follow along. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like hidden treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. 
Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, Jesus here, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandment, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Verse 20, and he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is the word of the Lord. The purpose of the parable series is to connect the stories of the kingdom of God to our everyday lives. What we are really saying here is that parables that Jesus taught 2,000 years ago are relevant to you and me even today. And it is important for us when we are studying the scripture. Especially when we're studying the parable, we have to remind ourselves that this story, these metaphors, allegories that Jesus used are not for some distant group of people that we have nothing to do with. As a matter of fact, it has a great deal to do with us also. And so we are studying the scripture, we're studying the parable together, and I hope this series has, this series has been and beneficial and fruitful for you as we are even continually growing, growing, continually doing the parables, studying the parables together. Thomas Lee and David Black uh, describes the parable as parable is a story from daily life used to illustrate a spiritual truth. It confronts people with radical demand. Say radical demand about Jesus. He clarified the exclusive nature of call to follow him, the demands of following Christ, the fundamental, foundational requirement of discipleship, not based on individual beliefs, but what Christ demands his people to believe and do. You know, this Earlier in the series, or the first uh, series that we the first sermon that we actually did in parables, I gave you a homework, right? I don't know if you remember. We give you the memory verse. We want to give you a verse that we want you to remember. Matter of fact, this is a critical uh, for you to understand or memorize this verse because without this, the parable should mean not much. Okay, and that verse is in Matthew chapter 13 when Jesus said to you, meaning his disciples, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It is a privilege 
in the life of a believer as a children of God to be able to read the story of the gospel and perceive and understand it. It is your right. It has been given to you by the Lord to understand the gospel. Now, that being said, without faith in Christ, without having a faith and trust in confession of who Jesus is, the gospel, you may even have a doctorate degree. Without faith, you will not fully grasp the true meaning of the gospel. It doesn't matter how many doctorates you hold. It doesn't matter if you have a philosophical degree and religion degree. You might know the essence of Christianity, but without faith, you will not be able to fully grasp it. So much so, the Augustine, the church father, said it this way, unless you believe, you will not understand. And that is not to say that it has not been given to us, but there is a some level of a commitment of a faith that is required for you and me to be able to understand and perceive the Word of God. Okay? So if you have not underlined that verse in Matthew 13, underline it. Memorize it. It is your privilege. Okay? Good? Everybody still with me? Extremely quiet. This is that silence. Silence is not golden in the service. Okay? Speak back to me, right? So, anyways, so let's go. Uh, I, I just want to give you this one fascinating fact that I found as I was preparing for the sermon this week. Uh, we will tackle the text in a minute, but one thing that I have done is I actually went to Pew Research, Pew Research Council, and a center that actually did a survey about what gives people meaning in life. Now, they do this periodically, but I have been able to find from 2017, but also I found one in 2021. And in 20, 2017, what gives people meaning in life? Here are the things. Number one, family. No-brainer. Number two, career. Number three, material well-being. Number four, faith. And number five, friends. I'm sure you guys can probably relate and agree some of these things. Maybe you will put one thing above the other, but probably these five things are something that is also important to you, and it gives meaning to your life. 2021, what gives meaning, people meaning in life? Number one, family. Hasn't changed. But check this out. Friends from fifth place in 2017 climb all the way to Number two, and I think there is a reason behind this. Now, I'm not an expert, but I have to say, it might have to do with COVID. Hear what I'm saying. There are things that we see important, right? Like career, money, well-being. These are important things for us. But what COVID has done has, is switched our priority. You see, there is a great exodus that's happening in the workforce right now. People are leaving their work for whatever the reason it may be. They might be looking for a different opportunity. Maybe they find that because they find that there are some things more important than money and job and career, 
They say they're willing to sacrifice or even take a less pay cut in order that they may be able to spend more time with somebody they love. Correct? I think it's very obvious that that's the reason why the priority has shifted. You know, during the COVID, I don't know about you, you know, if you're an extrovert, in, in our church, we have a lot of extroverts in our staff. I say majority are the extroverts. They love people. But during the pandemic, I don't know about you guys, if you're an extrovert, you are suffering. Not me. I was having a good old time. Leave me alone. I can be alone for days, and that is just fine. But for my friends that are extroverts, they were suffering. They have to have a relation. They have to have an interaction. If they don't, they're dying inside. Me, on the other hand, oh, this is such a treasure. Time for me. I don't have to spend time with you. Okay, more time for me. More. Ain't that right, Earl? It's tiring, man. Not that I don't like you. Believe me, you know. That's not what I'm saying. But there were some emphasis of relationship being taken away. People couldn't interact with one another, right? And so for that reason, people find that maybe relationship is critical needs in my life, and I need to take care of it. Makes perfect sense to me. Third is a material well-being. Everybody wants to have enough career from second to fourth. Again, I said that. But here's number five, faith. Now, this survey was given to entire population. It just has not been given to Christians. And I know all of you in this room would have probably put faith in number one category. I'm sure you would have. But in this sense, there are uh, people doesn't, you know, the faith is one of the elements. It's still top five. Really interesting fact, though, is that they searched 17 different countries. And they found that the United States is the only country that has faith in top five. Rest of the developed world doesn't even have faith as part of top five, not even top 10, maybe top 20. I think it was New Zealand and Australia that follow along in that category. So faith still in the United States, it matters to us. And they actually done a survey to evangelicals, and the perfect answer that they give is that without my faith in Jesus, it does not give any meaning in life. And we will talk about a little bit about why we believe that our relationship with Christ is the number one thing that gives us meaning in life. So let's go to the text, shall we? In verse 44, in Matthew chapter 13, you see, 44 and 45, you see two different stories. But it has a very similar story. It's just a few things that are different. But in verse 44, you find that there is a man that finds treasure. And after he found the treasure, he was so happy, and he hides that treasure and goes and sells his entire livelihood and everything that he owns and buys that field. Second story, on the other hand, which is a merchant who goes and looks for the finest, the best of the pearl, and when he finds it, he also goes and sells all that he has to acquire it. You may be wondering, okay, that sounds like the same thing to me. Few difference is about a man and there's a merchant. 
A man is just ordinary people, like you and me. And we find a trove of treasure, we find it, we see the value of it, and we hide it, and we get it. Do whatever it takes to get it. Merchant, in the other hand, he's an expert. Expert to look in and see, be able to see that this pearl is very valuable. And so, because he has found the pearl, he is willing to sell his entire livelihood to get the pearl. Make sense? Now, in Israel, I go to Israel quite often, but I haven't been there for quite a long time. But one thing that I'm fascinated every time I go to Israel is this thing. It doesn't matter when I go. They're always discovering and finding new things, like archaeology. I've been going there since 2006. And every year I go, they are finding a new things from the archaeology. Now, here is what you need to understand. In the United States, we only have 400 years of history. Not much. When you go to Israel, you have 4,000 years of history and beyond. And because of that, there are a lot of different civilizations that came through during the time of that piece of small land. The size of New Jersey, by the way. Very tiny land. But so many layers and elements they still find. And I have seen somebody actually grab a tablet. It's this one uh, location. It's called, it's called uh, Tel Megiddo, which is a story about Armageddon that will take place in the Revelation. We don't have time for that right now. But there was an archaeology that actually found a tablet of stone with inscriptions in it. And, and, and that's the type of thing that you see when you go to Israel. And so when you actually come with me, maybe you'll discover something that they just recently found. But what is the most expensive or the valuable treasure that they have discovered? There could be many things. There could be gold. There could be some form of Treasure trope they have found somewhere there has to be 4,000 years of history. There has to be something there. But I would argue that this treasure, you can't put even a price on it. And that is this thing called a Dead Sea Squirrel. And Dead Sea Squirrel is really interesting. It's a 2,000-year-old parchment, the document of the Hebrew books all the Old Testament. There are some other writings, but mainly the most important thing that they have discovered is the example, the existence of the Old Testament. And you probably wonder, well, that sounds cool and all, gee, but what's that got to do? Why is that so expensive? Why can you even put a value on it? And here is why. It's not just that this is a parchment of 2,000 years old, but this actually proves that the Old Testament that you and I possess today in your Bible is accurate to the dot. Because before the Dead Sea Scroll, the period between the first century Judea to actual document they actually had, which is Aleppo Codex, which is about 8th century, there's an 800-year gap. And so for the scholars, they say, well, this cannot be. This cannot be ultimately true. How can you be sure that the book that you hold, the Old Testament, is accurate 
to the word because you have to understand the Jewish tradition is an oral tradition. What I mean by that is they memorize, they inscribe the things by repetition, speaking. They memorize the scripture, period, orally. I don't know how many books you memorized. I haven't memorized any books. But this was a tradition. So you have to think, you have to understand that for that period, the people had a lot of question and doubt. Until 1947, where they actually found a document, the Dead Sea Scroll, that changed the entire spectrum of the accuracy and the authority the things that you even hold in your hand, the Bible, is accurate and true. Now, you may say, well, that doesn't say anything to do about New Testament then. I argue, say, no, it actually does have a great implication. Here's why. Because Jesus quotes so many verses of the Old Testament. So if Old Testament is challenged, then the New Testament should be also challenged too. But, but when Old Testament is accurate and has authoritative inerrant, which is without error, then we can say, okay, they truly understand the Old Testament to be accurate and true, and for that reason, the New Testament, when they quote it, also has the same authority, which carries the weight together. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Yeah? Too much information at once? It is important, okay? It is very important that they found this document and you can actually go and visit Israel today. You can go to Israel Museum, and you can actually see the entire book of Isaiah. Only book, interesting. Only book they found in entirety is a book of Isaiah. Is that a coincidence? <laughs> Never. There's no such thing as a coincidence. It's all part of God's plan. Because what you see here even, one on the left, I can't really point it because I don't have a pointer, Isaiah 53 about suffering servant right here. You cannot escape it. Old Testament is accurate and true and has been given to us. So it is the greatest find in history in Israel, but also to the world, but also for you and me, how important it is that this document were found, well, 2,000-year-old document that were found in Israel in 1947. <clears throat> now, that's the treasure. How about the most important or most expensive. Now, I actually shared this with the group earlier. They were pretty amazed by it. The most expensive gemstone in the world. Now, I didn't know none of this. I thought all the diamonds are the same thing, but I was wrong. There is this thing called blue diamond. Anybody know what blue diamond is? None of your hands? Oh, one. Okay. Somebody know what blue diamond is. Here is what blue diamond look like. Okay. This blue diamond, most expensive gemstone in the world, which can cost about $3.93 million per carat. Per carat, okay? What you see behind me is a 14.62 carat. Guess how much this bad boy cost? $57 million. Good night. And if you're getting married, if you're getting engaged, you're trying to buy the engagement, no pressure. You can't afford a blue diamond. Maybe you are in here that you can have a millions of dollars, but I don't know about you, but I don't remember paying no millions of dollars for a ring, I tell you that much. 
But I guess people have a lot of treasure to be able to afford it, but yes. But here's the thing, one thing that I found about the blue diamond is that there are experts that be able to determine and tell what the quality even. So you have an expert that can determine of the value of the gemstone. And here is what I'm trying to say to you. This parable is important for us for a few reasons, but here is one thing that is crucial for you and me. And that is, whether it is a treasure, the man finding treasure, whether it is a merchant buying a pearl, the most precious pearl, here's the key, they both knew the value. There is an intrinsic value to your faith. I want you to know that what Jesus is trying to say here to his people, to his disciples, to you and me is this. That relationship with him has no value. You remember I mentioned earlier you can't put a price tag on the Dead Sea Scrolls? Your relationship with God your knowledge of the Holy One, your relationship with Jesus has greater value than anything in this world, including that stone. Nothing in this world can have the same value or equal or even close. There's no such thing. Because the world will say this to you, hey, you can have this, great pearl. You can have this great diamond. You can have great this career. You can have great this money. You can have all for yourself. But even when you have those things, I guarantee you will never be able to satisfy the longing of your soul that Jesus can fill. Nothing. You can try. You can try. But what I have found is that there's no such thing. You see, there is, for you and me, as a God's creation who was created in his image that God has planted in us of something that longs for relationship with God. It's in us. It's in our DNA. We can't escape it, but we look for it. We look for the entire earth to find it, and when we find it, we know that this is true. I don't know about you, but as a young believer came to know the Lord 20 years ago, hard to believe, 20 years ago, at University of Houston, I believe that there was a lot of things that I have tried what the world has to offer. You see, the world promised me with fame, world promised me with material possessions, the world promised me with relationships that all fell short. It doesn't matter how I try. doesn't matter what I did. It always falls short. And I wonder and I question, how can this be? It doesn't matter if I go to the best party ever. I turn around, wake up next morning, that emptiness remains. I go to get totaled. I don't know, can't say that word. Get totaled. I say, this is the best thing ever. Still wake up next morning, empty, void, 
missing something. What am I missing that I am searching for? And 20 years ago, my friends, the Lord found me. I did not find him. He searched for me. He found me. He revealed himself to me. And now I have understood that very thing that I was looking for was him. You see, the world, that's <laughs> so funny. The world will offer you the entire world. Isn't that funny how enemy offered the entire thing to Jesus? As if in the temptation, in the wilderness, he offers from the world. As if Jesus does not own the world in the first place. See, Satan is on the borrowed time. He's on the borrowed time. And he thinks he owns you and me, but he doesn't. When Jesus Christ make himself known to you and me, we do not belong to even this world. We belong to the one with him in heaven. And because of that, my friends, we rejoice. That's the reason why we can come to the hardest moments in our life, suffering in this world. They can't say, I am looking forward to the day where God will restore all things. Because if you do not have that hope, believe me, our time here on earth will be miserable at best. But when we put our faith in Christ, when he revealed himself to us, and when we acknowledge that this is not the end, friends, we have eternity with God in heaven. That gives us a strength. That gives us enough power and courage to move forward. It does. It should. But it all matters to where does Jesus fit in that priority. Jesus said it this way. That treasure, that pearl, that's me. What are you willing to do? Will you be willing to sacrifice all? Will you be willing to give it all for Jesus? Because that's ultimately what it's saying here. How much, again, I said earlier, how much is Jesus worth to you? That's the real question that you and I have to ask. Don't leave without asking yourself that question. Is he the most important treasure you hold in your life? Or is there something else out there? Are you looking for something else that somehow will satisfy or give you even meaning in life? Family is great. Friends are great. Possessions are great. Careers are great. These are things that are not bad things. You should have a priority. These are great priorities to have, but when it is not aligned, if, it's not, if your life is not Christ-centered, that means job-centered will happen. Family-centered will happen. Relationship, oh, that poor person you put so much center on, who will fail, by the way? That's <laughs> Every marriage, you think that somehow when you get married, everything will be perfect. No, 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 no. The battle begins. <laughs> Until that moment, 
until you walk down the aisle, everything's good, the honeymoon, yeah, 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 it's great. But when you start to live together, you start to crash. If you look at that person as your savior, what's going to happen? But what if the marriage is centered around Christ? What if marriage is Christ-centered? You will not look at your mate to somehow fulfill the desires of your heart. You will ultimately look Christ. Beautiful picture of what marriage should be when both husband and wife are both looking to Christ to fill the longing of their hearts. And as they climb, think about this triangle, okay? Be with me. As you guys are going, as individual husband and wife are getting close to Christ, you see the gap closes. Is that the case? Absolutely. You see, we put faith in other things. And somehow, oh, I need to work on my marriage. How's your relationship with Jesus? Oh, oh, I need to do better in my job. I need to be honest in my job. How's your relationship with Jesus? Oh, I need to be a good steward of my material possessions. How's your relationship with Jesus? It's important for us to know and be assured that our faith in Christ and Christ alone, nothing will take that place. And if you leave here today and make that decision to go and say, you know what? You're absolutely right, G. I have put my trust in other things. I have put my priorities in other things. And I have been falling short. Now, today is the day that I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. And it's going to change everything. I guarantee you, if you make that decision, you will change. You will change forever. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon, great preacher said it this way, if Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of man. If he be something, he must be everything. If he be not everything, he is nothing to you. Is Jesus Christ everything to you? What are you willing to sacrifice? Now that you know the worth, if you know that this treasure is worth so much greater, how much are you willing to sacrifice for? If Jesus, if God calls you to lay it all down for his sake, will you do it? You don't hear me. Will you lay it all down for Jesus? All the saints of old, whether it be a martyr, whether it will be a great man and woman of God that went before us, there is a secret they have discovered. And I believe that this is it. They have discovered the true worth of Jesus Christ. And they're willing to sell everything for it, even their own life. And because of that, they are not a fallen short. They are not a mistake. You know what? He, they are all with God in heaven, enjoying eternity with Him in heaven. You see, we think that this temporal world is it. We think that somehow this is it. This speck of life 
this grain of a sand in the vast ocean. We think that this is it. Friends, no. Eternity awaits. Eternity awaits. My encouragement to you is not only put Christ first, but willing to sacrifice everything for him. Now, you may say, well, gee, I mean, it's easy for you to say you're a pastor. <laughs> but how about me? Like, how, where do I fit in this story? Be the best you can be where God placed you whether it will be a work, whether it will be a family, whether it will be relationships. Let Christ rule. Exemplify Christ in those places. Because friends, I have heard this before, that you may be, in this world that we live, you may be the only glimpse of Christ they may see. And if we are not living, if we are not exemplifying Christ in our daily life, if we just go on about it, like, oh, you know, I don't want to hurt that person's feeling. And if you know the cure to cancer, but you're not willing to give that cure, that's many Christians today. We have a saving knowledge of God. The gospel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come into the world willing to die for the sins in order that you and I may have eternal relationship with the Father. Now that's a message worth carrying. It's a saving knowledge of God, and that's been entrusted to us. It's a great responsibility, but we have it. What are we going to do with it? I pray that City Life Houston will be a church that carries that message to the city. Whether it will be preaching the gospel, whether it will be serving in a soup kitchen, or even in the building beds, wherever it may be, that Christ will be glorified through us. You know, in Mark chapter 10, you know, the young man, you know, he, he said it this way. He said, you know, I have done it all. You know, I, I lived a good moral life. And Jesus says, no, you're still missing one thing. Isn't that funny? You know, Jesus always points something that we dear. And you see, the question is what this rich young ruler's he said he was not willing to let go. He had the Son of God in front of him. But because, I believe, the idol of a great position, he couldn't even make that decision. And I believe there is another way. In John chapter 6, Verse 60, let me give you a little bit of backdrop of this story. So basically, there are a lot of crowds that are following Jesus, but he knows the heart of people. 
He knows that they are following him for wrong reason. Unlimited buffet. And so he goes out and shakes their world. You're following me for these things. But unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And this was a hard saying. In John chapter 6, verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? In verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples, not the 12, but people that were following Jesus, went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter, our hero here in this picture, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Friends, are you willing to leave it all for Jesus? When Jesus calls us to follow him, he will ask the things that are difficult to do and comprehend. Jesus doesn't offer us the riches of this world, but the true riches which is in heaven, eternal life with the creator of the universe, forever in reunion, communion with God. He confronts you and me with the reality of the coming judgment, the day of the Lord, when He will restore all things to where He was at the garden. My prayer to you today is as you go, If Christ is not your priority, I pray that you challenge yourself and confront the idols in your heart. And I promise you, repent of those things, your trust in the things of this world, and put your faith, your entire faith, of the one who lived, but who died. We lived again and forever and one day return for you and me. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful today that we have a treasure of heaven. Thank you for your willingness to sacrifice and give it all for your creation. Thank you. Because of your obedience to be willing to go to the cross that many of us in this room can have a relationship with the Father. Thank you. Oh, so thank you, God. Help us, Lord, as we navigate the life of this world that we find ourselves Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible. Not only in our daily lives, but also for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.